have my hands full here this morning. So, Well, good morning. Larry, I know I'm in competition with you, Illini. I thought about that. You know, That game starts at 11.10. I don't think I'm going to get you out by then. <laughs> Possibly. I, I doubt it, though. I doubt it. But I will be watching to see who leaves about that time, too, So, just so you know. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning and be able to worship with all of you this morning. Uh, today is the third, third Sunday of Lent, um, and we have been uh, using a theme verse for that. See if I can make this happen. There we go. That theme ver verse is Galatians 2.20, and so we're going to go ahead and repeat that again together this morning. So let's say this together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that theme verse, um, maybe, maybe my title for my message kind of came derived partially from that in the fact that um, it is a life we now live. And that is based on um, Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. And I'm going to go ahead and read that this morning out of the NIV version. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our father, forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that the words I speak will glorify you and you only. May they be covered and empowered by your Holy Spirit so that we may be compelled to draw nearer to you. My message this morning is a life once lived. And I'm curious, what comes to mind when you hear that phrase? What comes to mind when you hear a life once lived? Anybody want to say what the first thing is that comes to mind for them? Death. Death? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's lots of things, but I think that's probably the one thing that comes to mind because there's something about that statement that says there's some finality or to it. Um, maybe some of you thought about uh, some particular person who, who passed away or somebody who you knew in life, whether it was um, maybe a world leader or athlete or somebody who's been successful in the financial world, somebody who's, who's you know, in worldly standards has accomplished a lot. Or maybe it was just a close relative or a friend that you thought of first? Or did any of you think about your own life? Did you start contemplating your own life when you think about a life once lived? And my guess is that if it wasn't death, it probably was thinking about someone close to you and the impact that they had on your life. Well, and today, when we think about that in death, we often refer to funerals as a celebration of life service. And I think that's great. And we need to celebrate the positives for life that was lived for Christ. The Galatians 2 verse that we just um, recited says, the life we now live. And that implies there's some kind of change, right? The life that we now live obviously isn't the life we once lived. And even for those who have gone before us and passed away, the life they now live is no longer the life they once lived. They're now living in the presence and the fullness of Christ and celebrating in that joy and being able to spend eternity with him. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, there really isn't much celebrating of life once lived. In fact, it points out some of the many failures of, and sins of the people of Israel as they were led out of Egypt and into the promised land. Paul uses these failures and mistakes as a reminder and a warning for the Corinthian people to not repeat the mistakes of the past. And these verses are kind of divided into three sections. Um, verses 1 through 5 are a reminder of how God was evident in the lives of these people as they traveled. He was with them. Verses 6 through 10 are a reminder of the mistakes that they made. And verses 11 through 13 are a reminder that it can happen to us. But it also reminds us that there's hope and strength through God who's faithful to us. And I've, I've actually put these, that's a little small to see maybe, but I've actually split these up and put these on the screen. These are out of the Message Bible, so you can kind of follow along. I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible. And... I do this mainly um, just to give us a little um, different perspective on what is said. 
So I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 out of the Message Bible. It says, Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were, and the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. Notice Paul says that it's our history, our ancestors, and as brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's part of our history and our ancestors as well. And Paul uses a lot of symbolism in the beginning of this, in that first, those first few verses. As the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, they experienced a baptism similar to ours. Paul is using the cloud and the parting of the sea as that symbol of baptism. And they walked from death to, to new life as they crossed that sea. They were immersed, in a sense, into the kingdom of God. And during this time in the desert, they never went hungry or thirsty. Yes, there were times they, they thought they were going to die or, or, or were feeling pain because they didn't have what they thought they needed. But God always provided for them. And when the Israelites didn't have much food, they complained to Moses about their hunger. And what did Moses do? He intercedes. He goes to the Lord in prayer. And God ends up supplying their need every time. This routine happens multiple times. And the people, compl the people complain about their food, water, or, or not even the right kind of food, right? And every time God answers Moses' prayers and provides what they need. The people of Israel experienced the salvation of Christ in many tangible ways. You might even say they took part in the Lord's Supper every day. The supper he, that he provided. Many look at this part of today's passage as a reminder of being baptized or partaking in the Lord's Supper. That it doesn't mean that we it doesn't mean that we have a ticket to receive everything God has for us. Because remember, out of all of those uh, that wandered in the desert, only two of the adults ended up going into the promised land. And that was Caleb and Joshua. Those were the only two adults that entered the promised land. Receiving God's blessing and taking part in Christian sacraments doesn't mean we don't have ethical or moral responsibilities. And it also doesn't guarantee us that we don't have trouble or fail at times. All we have to do is think about our own lives and we see how this is true. And maybe I shouldn't say our lives. I'll, I'll keep to myself here. I, I should probably say my life, and I, I find that to be true in my life. There was a time in my life when I focused on, on me. The focus was on me and, and, and nothing else. And the only time I really talked to God was when I needed something. And I really wasn't giving anything back to God. You know, yes, I was going to church, and I was baptized. 
but not getting close to God. Not close enough to, to let him in unless I needed something. And I'll admit there's still times when that happens, right? There's still times that I fail. Still times when I don't trust him. I don't speak to him and I don't build that relationship. But even in the midst of those times, I can look back and I can see that God was, God was taking care of me. He was providing for me in ways that I didn't see at the time, but in ways look, looking back, I can see. You know, the scripture doesn't say that we will lose our salvation, but it does help us realize that we can miss out on a lot of the blessings that God has for us. He wants to bless us if we'll just submit to him and, and, and give him our hearts. And it's more about the, the, just the religious rituals or the things we do. It's more about just coming to church every Sunday. You know, we need to fully surrender to him and trust him. The next portion is uh, reminders of what uh, the, the Israelites did as far as uh, the sins that they committed. And that starts out in verse um, 6 through 10. And in the Message Bible, it says the same things could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First, the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. The first one that's mentioned here is idolatry. And I realize uh, idol worship actually isn't mentioned specifically in the Message Bible, but in the NIV it is. The Message uh, version refers to turning our religion into a circus, which, has happened, which is what happened when the people of Israel decided they needed another god to worship. In the NIV version, it, it quotes a specific verse taken from Exodus 32. It says, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. This reference back to Exodus 32 is when the people decide they need a golden calf. And I think this is a familiar story for all of us, right? I, we, most of us know what happens in that. But it, it would happen when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to re receive instructions from God for the people of Israel. And the, the people of Israel became tired of waiting on Moses and convinced Aaron, who was there to lead them while Moses was gone, convinced him that they needed a God to worship and lead them. And it seems Aaron was pretty easily convinced and swayed, and he told them to bring them all their gold. And they took that gold and they fashioned it into a golden calf. And then Aaron went ahead and set up an altar in front of it so that they could worship it. 
Now, I'll, I'll give him a little bit of grace because, you know, Moses was gone for 40 days. He was gone for a little over a month. You might get kind of tired of waiting on somebody if they're supposed to come back and they're gone for a month. And you might begin to wonder where they're at as well. But to go ahead and fully turn away from God and, and uh, ask for another God uh, seems, seems a little strange and seems hard to comprehend to think of what all they've been through. Um, but the people end up worshiping in that golden calf, offering sacrifices to it, eating, drinking, and, and partying all night long until Moses showed up again. And if you want to know how that party ended, you can read Exodus 32. I do have a question, though. Does anybody know? Can anybody tell me what, or raise your hand if you know, what happened to the golden calf? Yeah, read, read Exodus 32 and find out, find out what happens to the, to the golden calf, that idol. I'm not going to tell you what happened. You can look it up. That's something you can do while you're watching the Illini game. Okay. Well, this reminder is not to worship other gods or idols. And I believe all of us here would respond to that by saying, well, we don't worship other gods and idols. You know, we put Jesus Christ first. That's who we worship. And as much as I know that that's true, I also know that we make mistakes. And I also know that we can be fooled and swayed. And I also know that anything or anyone can become an idol, something that we worship. And to worship other gods can take all kinds of different forms. And this is nothing new, but it is a reminder. What do we do with our gifts, our talents that God has given us? What do we do with our time, our energy, our money? If many of those things are focused on something other than Jesus Christ then maybe we should step back and reevaluate. We need to make sure that whatever it is we are focusing on hasn't left out Jesus. And I believe there are seasons in our lives, seasons and times in our lives when, you know, our focus has to be elsewhere. Our focus has to, more focus gets put on, put on certain areas. And I think of young families with young kids. Children take a lot of energy and time and focus. Or how about those of us who are older adults and have to take care of aging parents? That takes focus and energy and time. Or what if you have a really major health issue or something and, and you end up, it depletes all of your money, your savings, everything's gone. And you have to focus on trying to pay that or take care of that or get better. All of those things, types of things are things that take focus and time and energy. But even in the midst of those, we shouldn't push God aside. In fact, we should make sure he's in the middle of all of that. You know, and these mistakes, this mistake and, and the others that Israel's making, these sins that they're committing, really come down to self, right? It's what they want. They have trouble putting self aside. And they, in this particular instance, they asked for a God, one that could lead them, one that they could worship. And they already had the one true God that was leading them, and, worship, and they were able to worship. He was providing for them and had provided for them as they wandered in the desert. 
The second mistake named here is sexual immorality. In verse 8, it tells us that 23,000 died in one day because of their behavior. 23,000. That's a lot. (laughs) This refers to what is written back in Numbers chapter 25. And Israel is camped near Moab. And the Israelite men begin to have sexual relations with the Moabite women. And the men have been told specifically not to have sexual relations with the Moabite women. So not only were they acting immorally, but they were directly disobeying something that God had commanded them not to do. And the Moabites at that time were people who worshipped the pagan god of Baal. And as these men began to have relations with the Moabite women, they were invited to worship Baal. And that's what happened. Many of the men began to to worship Baal. So now, not only are are they acting immorally and disobeying God's commands of God, but now they're also worshiping a false God. So maybe, just maybe, God knew that this might happen if they got involved with with the Moabites. And maybe that's why he commanded them not to do that. You know, God's commands and his words are given given to us to protect us and to give us freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin and and that loads us down and keeps us from receiving his blessings. But isn't that the way it is with our disobedience and our sin? We think just a little bit won't hurt, right? And it isn't that bad. Others are doing it. As time goes on, we allow a little more and a little more. And before you know it, we're covered in sin. Kind of like telling a lie. We often tell a few, uh, tell a lie, but then we end up having to tell a few more lies to cover up the lie that we told. It becomes a vicious cycle. The last mistake that is shared here is the mistake of, mistake or sin of grumbling. And this, this reference goes back to Numbers uh, chapter 16 and chapter 21. And I'm going to read out of the NIV. I'm going to read what happened in chapter... Chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. It says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake lived. And chapter 16 speaks of much of the same, 
Only it says that the whole congregation or the whole, a large number of the Israelites came to Moses complaining and they were complaining about real similar things. Now, I was, I was kind of taken back or um, surprised. I'm not too sure what word I want to use there, but because uh, I thought, you know, out of all the sins Paul could have shared, you think about all the terrible sins, he adds grumbling. He uses those as one of, as an example. Now, and, and grumbling, really? Is, is grumbling even a sin? I hardly think of it as a sin, right? Grumbling isn't so bad. I mean, a lot of people grumble. Some people grumble louder than others. And some people grumble more than others, too. Um, but, you know, the thing is, that goes back to our own mindset of, our human mindset of, Ranking sins, sins from bad to worse, or thinking about one sin being smaller or larger than the other. And the fact is, sin is sin. It separates us no matter what sin it is. It separates us from the love of God, and it separates us from his blessings. So as I, as I thought about grumbling, I thought, how many of you have worked around a coworker or had a friend or been around somebody a lot that grumbles a lot. You know, I, I had, in a former job, I had a, 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 a co-worker who, I don't know, I just seemed like that was their thing every day, <laughs> or almost every day, you know? They were complaining about the boss, or what they had to do, or, you know, I just, it was just always this list of things that they were complaining about. And after a while, it, it started to wear on me. I, I mean, I, some of my days weren't too enjoyable when I had to listen to that all day long, you know? What's surprising is that person actually ended up working there longer than I did. They stayed for like 25 years, 30 years, something like that. I don't know. <clears throat> so I'm not too sure what all, all the, the grumbling was about, but it happens. <clears throat> And we know people like that, and we know what it can do to us, right? Well, the people, the people of Israel were grumbling against God and Moses. And I, you know, I believe one of, part of the reasons, or a couple of the reasons that, that this was brought up is because they were complaining against God. They were grumbling against God. And here God had been providing for them, giving them food and water, and now they're starting to complain because the food that he's given isn't good enough. Do we do that sometimes ourselves with God? You know, what you've given me isn't good enough. I want more. I think we need to be careful <laughs> how we grumble. So they grumbled against God and against Moses. They grumbled <clears throat> by grumbling against God and what he had already done for them they were really rejecting God himself. And in, in my, my Bible, it lists, actually, it lists all the complaining and what Moses did each time or where the complaining happened and in in, in what Moses did each time. And there are one, two, three, four. I count 14 times that the, the people of Israel started complaining and grumbling about 
either what they had. A lot of it was actually complaining about their food and water. Same thing over and over. And yet God provided it for them over and over. And so I think that's part, part of the issue we need to be careful about too. You know, maybe it isn't so wrong to, to, to express yourself and let your wants and needs be known, but to complain day after day after day or complain over and over and over that you're not getting what you want. And while you're getting what you need, it may not be what you want, but you're getting what you need um, isn't the way to go. One other thing about uh, grumbling, or as they call it here, a gripe session, um, is that it can spread discontentment. And that's what happened even with the people of Israel because we see that there were times when large numbers of them started grumbling and complaining and having gripe sessions to Moses. You know, and dissension can spread like wildfire. It can tear apart a family, tear apart a community, a business, and it can even tear apart a church. You know, if you hang around with someone who's grumbling long enough, you're likely to end up starting to grumble about the same things they are. In all of these are examples of our own selfishness and our wants and wanting to be uh, not actually fully surrendering to Christ, right? Or to trust Him. The last verse, the last verses, whoops, did I go backwards? I'm sorry. 11 through 13, I think I skipped one. Apologize for that. The last verses are 11 through 13, and they tell us that this history, that these examples are warning signs for us. Right? So that we don't have to make the same mistakes. We have this history to show us what not to do. We have all made mistakes in our past, and most likely all of us will make some more, right? But hopefully we learn from our past. Hopefully we learn from our mistakes and our previous sins so that we don't repeat them in, in, in the future. It seems like the people of Israel had a little bit of trouble with that. Uh, they repeated some of those several times. But um, hopefully we don't make that same mistake. And when I think about mistakes, I, I happen to think of you, Joe, this morning, thinking about mistakes. Ever drove, drove a nail and hit your, you know, you had your thumb in the way? you probably took your thumb out of the way the next time you drove that nail, right? Mistakes hurt, you know? Those things that we do that, that uh, we shouldn't do, there's usually some pain involved. Uh, starting a new job here recently and having an 18-month-old uh, grandchild, learning from our mistakes is pretty fresh in my mind. <laughs> if I make a mistake at work, uh, I usually make a note of it to make sure that I don't do that same thing again next time that situation comes around, right? And as most of you know, an 18-month-old child in your home uh, can keep you busy. Uh, they have legs underneath them now that they're able to use, you know, and they, they take them wherever their curiosity leads. Um, and so 
you know, I'm just reminded again, because it's been a while since our kids were little and now having a grandchild, I'm reminded again of how often you have to say no. You know, in that conversation with those children that age, no is used a lot. Um, you know, it's no, don't do this, don't touch that, leave it, no, leave that there, you know. Uh, no, don't go there, or whatever. You know, don't, don't step off of there because you're going to fall. You know, but the, but the reason we use that no, the reason those conversations happen isn't because we don't want them to have fun or we don't want them to enjoy life or we don't want to bless them. The reason we say no is because we don't want them hurt. We've already been through that. We've seen what can happen. And that's the way it is with God and, and, and these examples. That's why he gives them to us. Because he, he, he knows what will happen if we do those things that we're told not to. Those rules are there. Those, those commands and guidelines are there to give us freedom, not, not to ruin our lives. They're to make so that we can enjoy life and all the blessings that God has for us. But then self gets in the way, right? And we get caught up thinking we have to, thinking we need this or that. Or thinking, you know, wanting something and, and, and it ends up causing trouble in our lives. I'm going to read um, the Message Bible again, the last 11 through 13. This, uh, the, these verses remind us again that even in the midst of those, it, it's, it's a helpful reminder that even when we make mistakes, when we sin, that God's there. And God um, is there in the midst of it all. And, and is our hope and is also there to give us a way through it or out of it. Depends on which version you read on, and on what that says. But from the Message Bible, it says, these are all warning markers. Danger is in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. You know, the, the people of Israel often get a, you know, get a bad rap because we think, well, they had God in their midst. Why, how, could they, how could they mess up so bad so often? Well, why is it we mess up so bad so often? You know? We, 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 we're no different than them. We're, it can happen to us. Uh, find my place again. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. And then it says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. And he'll always be there to help you through it. In, in the NIV version, it says that God will give you a way out when you're tempted. And he'll see you through it. And I, and I believe God, even if there isn't a, a specific way out, God's there to support you in the midst of that temptation and help you through it. To help you to stand in the midst of that. And so as we 
as we think about that, and as we think about our mistakes and, and our temptations that we have, you know, it also says that, that they weren't, uh, it's nothing new. I mean, every temptation we faced, it, it's, it, we don't have any new ones. They're the same ones that have been here for years and years and years. And so, as others have, have dealt with those, we can too. We also need to remember that God spent 40, or Jesus spent 40 days being tempted in the wilderness. And he overcame that. So he knows what it's like. He, he knows um, how, how we're tempted. He knows our temptations. And he knows what, we're what we've been through. And so he can, he can respond and help us get through those. So God's faithful. He's there for us. And he won't ever give us more than we can bear. Um, he always provides a way out, and he's our hope and strength. So I guess from, this, from these stories, we need to remember. Um, it's a reminder not to do the things that they've done in the past, not to repeat the past. Uh, but it's also a reminder that God is faithful and he's there. And as Glenn spoke last week, you know, if we confess our sins, he, he's, he's, he will forgive us. And so um, I'm not saying you're not ever going to make a mistake, that you're never going to mess up, because we do. We're going to. Um, but as long as we confess those to Christ, he's um, faithful to forgive us of those as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you. You know, sometimes we need reminders. Sometimes we need to remember what happened to those before us. Even when those things are, are negative, when those things are things that were unpleasing to you, Lord, it's good to be reminded so that we can avoid those potholes and those sins and those mistakes in our own lives. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and true, that if we only surrender to you, that you will guide us and lead us in the right direction, that you will provide for us and sustain us, that you will always provide a way out, Lord, I pray that, that we would always look to you, that, we'd re, that we would remember to seek your face in the midst of those temptations, and that we would seek you when we fail. Lord, we thank you that your son Jesus went on the cross and died for us. His shed blood for us and for the mistakes that we have made and will make. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you can go catch the rest of the Illini game.